You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Revitalize Our Cities Now, the podcast series for entrepreneurs, real estate investors, developers, and anyone interested in urban revitalization. Our host is David Michael, a real estate lawyer with the Lipson Nielsen Law Firm. One of his areas of expertise is urban revitalization. David's guests will include some of the difference makers involved in all aspects of urban revitalization throughout Michigan. You'll listen as experts discuss acquiring land, redevelopment incentives, real estate and nonprofit law, immigration and economic redevelopment, private equity, venture capital, and more. Thanks for joining us. And here's your host, David Michael. Welcome, everybody. I'm David Michael, and I'm here today with Brian Hertian, a Detroit architect. And we're going to talk a little bit about development in the city of Detroit and the history of redevelopment in the city of Detroit. Let's start out, Brian. Let me ask you just about how did you get into architecture? Did you always want to be an architect from the time you were a small child? What was your pathway to architecture? Well, David, uh, uh, first, thank you for uh, having me here. I've uh, always been an architect. Uh, since I was five or six years old, I was drawing house plans and houses and uh, living in the country of uh, northern Macomb County, I was always planning cities and subdivisions and building roads. And I had every buildable play element to make, you know, Legos and high rises and everything. So um, it was, it's, it's my passion. It's my blood. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's been wonderful, very wonderful. But, you know, sometimes. Hey, let, me, let me just ask you. So uh, since you already knew from the time you were five or six that you mm -hmm. wanted to be an architect, uh, did you still have the usual teenage jobs and uh, young adult jobs that other people have when they're going through school and that sort of thing? Or did you always do things that were connected somehow to architecture? Oh, no. You know, being a teenager, I started my jobs just like I think most teenagers, uh, the Quick Pick and Romeo and restaurants that got me through college and, um, you know, odd jobs. But then, and college, of course, really woke me up to the world um, rather than just the region. And so that was a big influence on me. Uh, and therefore, you know, the passion grew in terms of architecture and uh, how valuable it is to you know human existence that and how everything is really designed so that led me into you know many different things uh and obviously after college was when you know that passion just drove my career to, to today now is architecture a profession that requires graduate school yes um it is uh very difficult uh it is uh again it's it's more of a creative passion where and there's many facets of architecture um you know uh, design versus technical uh and you know everything from knowing you know just how to do urban planning all the way to the end of a building uh that is then inhabited an architect can play many different roles and there are many different kinds of architects that play those roles along the way so uh, you have your choice in terms of what 
uh, kind of role or what kind of architect you want to be. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is that some people might think that an architect just draws pictures of buildings right. and they get built that way. But of course, there are a lot of other considerations. There oh, are, so many. There are, what kind of materials can you use for the design you want? What, uh, what sort of um, um, climate control systems do you need for that particular geographic and, and oh, sure. location? But it's even in the different uh, realms of buildings, you know, you have your healthcare fields, you have your school and education fields, you have your residential field, you have your small commercial fields, you have, again, urban planning that is in the bigger vision, you know, and then there's interior design, huge, you know, there are there are many facets that way. And uh, what you just mentioned actually applies to all of those. So even if you take a field, you know, you can you can then actually uh, separate uh, the a more technical aspect out of it that does apply to all of the fields. So, you know, it's it's a web, it's a, a layered, multi-layered approach to, you know, building design. So what was your undergraduate degree in? Uh, a Bachelor of Architecture degree, and then, uh, oh, well, that, that was my final degree. Um, that was some time ago. So um, anyway, that was at Lawrence Tech. I see. Um, and now you have your own firm with a partner, Christian uh, Hertian Architects. Architects. Right. Christian Hertian Architects. My business partner, Chris Christian. Um, he and I are good friends and good partners. Um, so I can't ask for anything better. And now have you always, has it always been the two of you with uh, your own firm? No, we've been together about five years now. Um, I've had a very, uh, I'll say, different career than what I had ever envisioned when I was like in school or even out of school. Uh, and it's been wonderful. Um, in a couple of positions of other firms that I've been in uh, that are a little varied, my own firm uh, in Corktown, uh, which is where I still live, uh, I was in, had that for nine years um, and then moved on to a larger firm downtown. Uh, then... <laughs> Of all things, I became an executive director of a, a local nonprofit on the east side of Detroit, uh, the Villages Community Development Corporation, which was a wonderful experience. Uh, and now with uh, my partner, Chris, uh, doing a lot of uh, good things in Detroit. And what kind of buildings have you developed uh, uh, or worked on in the uh, different firms that you've been with? Well, um, well, you mentioned just a little while of, ago that as an architect, you can well, you, you can either you can specialize I mean, in a, a whole lot of different things, so, right? Like residential. So or we only have like fifty minutes left, right? <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, in the eighties, I was doing a lot of preservation work uh, with a, a great mentor of mine, um, Mike. And uh, does we, Mike have a last name? Am Mike we, Kirk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or is he a fugitive? He, he no, might be on oh, the no. lamb. I don't oh, want to. No. He's a great guy. Um, I should have dinner with him soon. Uh, and uh, we did wonderful projects in the city uh, uh, and actually over, all over the region. So that was kind of a, a brief summary of the 80s. <laughs> uh, the Preservation night, was actually really big in the, uh, in the 80s, uh, as I recall. It was very controversial, actually. Um, in because, what way? Well, the uh, city administration saw preservation as a, a very bad word. Uh, and they wanted to tear down as many buildings as possible because that was not 
you know, the old buildings were not viewed as uh, usable. Economically viable. Right, economically viable. And we're talking about the city of Detroit, right? Yes, because that's primarily where I've had uh, my entire career. Um, So, you know, I was in nonprofits, uh, Cityscape Detroit, uh, for a long time uh, doing, uh, you know, trying to promote the the city and uh, all of its good uh, assets. Um, and so it was just, you know, always, uh, we were the minority of, you know, the one, the architecture profession, as well as viewed in the city as, uh, being a viable entity. Sure. And preservation is sometimes at odds with development because, um, traditionally when you have a, a location with strong historic preservation, ordinances in place, mm-hmm. uh, development can become very expensive because you have to develop according to uh, guidelines as to the kind of materials right. you can use, things like that. Tell the, us a little bit about that. Well, the National Park Service, through our federal government, has uh, the Secretary of Interior guidelines for uh, rehabilitation. Um, and they do a, a very good job in terms of, uh, well, looking at a building and knowing how the history of the building is uh, contributing to the future and what that building, uh, how that building relates to the future. And so there are historians, specialists that review buildings and renovations to know how uh, it really is applicable. Uh, So that's where, and in current days, Oh, in really the last 20 years anyway, or probably more, of the historic tax credit. It's a preservation incentive uh, where you can get 20% of uh, re- rehabilitation of, an, of a qualified historic building or property uh, as a return on your investment. And that's something that's still available? Yes. Is, is that a statewide thing or is that a... Uh, federal. Si- it's federal? Yes. And... Can you tell us a little bit about the process for applying for something like that? Well, uh, one, um, it's uh, it's not a hard process, uh, but again, it's um, depending on your development. Uh, you know, every project is different, and every owner is different, and every developer is different. So, therefore, how does that the building and project, and therefore the tax credit, fall in line with the developer or owners? vision for his or her development in the future and how then the guidelines impact what they want to do you know because a lot of um well as a good example uh bedrock detroit all of the properties downtown are really uh, have been renovated by bedrock and their historic properties and they have received a tax credit for those properties they've done an excellent job they go through the process. Uh, it's you know it's for larger buildings and more complicated projects. Obviously, therefore, the application process is more complicated. But uh, it is uh, somewhat simple in a way. Part one is uh, qualifying the building that it is historic. Part two is saying what the existing conditions are uh, and. In a, in a very uh, plain manner, and then saying what you're going to do about those conditions. Uh, you know, the brick is broken, 
and or missing, we're replacing that brick to match the existing brick and the existing mortar. Very simple elements. Um, but you have to do that about every aspect of the building. It's an all or nothing tax credit. You can't do a portion. And I am certainly not an expert on this. <laughs> I've done it a lot. But you really do need to hire a preservation consultant to follow through with the tax credit application process. I would highly recommend it. Okay. I was just going to ask you about that. Uh, typically, would you, would you, would an attorney or would you as the architect or would the, uh, various other people involved in the development project, who would be in charge of the application? And it sounds like you just kind of answered that question. There are people who specialize in yes. historic preservation tax credits. Yes. Yes, there are. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, well, Bedrock, for example, is, I mean, they're huge in Detroit, right? right? And are these tax credits things that are available for preservation of historic buildings only on a large scale or are they are available to for example a homeowner uh homeowners no uh again it's a federal program for commercial properties only and there are certain aspects of which properties are the tax credit is available to uh the state of michigan is in a current uh re a rewrite I don't know, uh, reinstigating the uh, state historic tax credit program. Uh, it was abolished, or I wouldn't say abolished, um, taken away in the Snyder administration. Uh, and it, it does help uh, homeowners in historic buildings or historic neighborhoods rehabilitate their properties. And it is based on the Secretary of Interior guidelines as well. And you know, a lot of these historic homes all across Michigan uh, are, you know, in need of this kind of help. Um, slight roofs, clay tile roofs, you know, windows, uh, you know, historic homes usually have so many windows. And it's just, you know, they're 100, 120 years old. It's, you know, they need constant update. And unless you're very handy, and you'd like to do it yourself, you know, there it's, it's, it's a job and to help home, you know, homeowners with this is very crucial and it saves neighborhoods. It really did save a lot of the historic neighborhoods in the city of Detroit, the state historic tax credit. So I would really appreciate that it be reinstituted. When I think of historic neighborhoods, a couple come to mind just mm -hmm. because we've we've heard about them a lot. Um, for example, Boston Edison. Um, that's the first one that I thought of. There's also um, what am I thinking of near Belle Isle, Indian Village, In, Indian Village. Yeah. What are some others? Do any others oh, occur God, to you? Or uh, Palmer Woods, uh, Russell Woods, Corktown. Um, <laughs> West Village, uh, there's uh, well Corktown. You know, you mentioned the, Corktown. That's the, I, I think that's actually very timely, isn't it? I think in the last ten years or so, I've watched as all kinds of new businesses and new kinds of developments have been happening in Corktown. Mm -hmm. Do, have you noticed the same thing? Oh, of course, I live there. So, and it's a wonderful neighborhood. Uh, yeah. What What's the best part about it? Oh. 
Gosh. Or best parts. Um, uh, one, uh, I I think, is the people. Uh, two is the location. Uh, three are the amenities. Um, well, let's let's uh, talk about each one of those. Uh, the people, the location, and the amenities. What are the people like? How would you characterize the neighborhood? People. Oh, you know, it's almost every walk of life, and that's what I love about Corktown and the city is that um, you can it you know you can do what you want how you want. Um, there's always like a compatible uh, person, household, family, friend around that is like you, whoever you want to be <laughs> at that, the moment. <laughs> and that mix is, is the best part of it. Uh, so, so you're talking about diversity, diversity. Yes. In all kinds of ways. Right. Yeah. Racially, racially, economically, economically yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's just fun. And, and that's what I like about it. Uh, how long have you actually lived in the Corktown neighborhood? Uh, almost 23 years. Have you? Has it always been that way, or have you seen changes over uh, those couple of decades? It pretty much always has been that way. Um, I, I just think of it, it is, always has been a very mixed neighborhood. Uh, so, uh, of course, there have been changes along the way. Um, and we'll talk about more, those in a moment. More incremental than you know like obviously ford motor company coming in but right that's a big one yeah that's a big one what in terms of location what do you like about the location um it's proximity to downtown uh the waterfront um access to freeways um you know uh the bars and restaurants um it's just a, a great location well, especially uh, now, some some of those bars and restaurants weren't there twenty three years ago. And no, in fact, probably a lot of them that are it, my favorites now weren't there ten years ago. Oh, sure, but there's always been a few. And you know, yes, Tiger Stadium went away, but in some way, uh, that led to a kind of a rebirth uh, or a transition that Corktown went through to make it the way it is now. Do you remember when the old Tiger Stadium? Uh, uh, grounds were after the stadium was completely raised. Detroit Dog Dog Park, um, Detroit Dog Park mm-hmm. used it uh, for pop up dog parks. Yes. I think it was every Sunday uh, throughout most of the summer, or maybe even part of the winter. Um, but now they have uh, Detroit Dog Park has uh, a real location right. very near the uh, the train, train station. station. Yep. Yeah. Do you I have a dog? No, I don't have a dog. So um, I would see people out there. That's about it. Well, and and that's a really positive development. And, and oh, I is. think the, the pop-up dog park, that was kind of in the transition era before there were a lot of the uh, bars and restaurants and mm-hmm. other great businesses in Corktown mm-hmm. now. And the last thing you mentioned was amenities. And, and when you're talking about amenities, what are you talking about? Uh, there's a great hardware store, a uh, bank, um, uh, auto repair. Um, and has that always been the case for yeah. these 23 years yeah. or so? so what, I, they were there before I moved in. Because, I mean, there was a time, especially around the, the the Corktown area, especially near the train station, there wasn't a lot going on there for a while. Oh, yeah. You know, but there was enough. Uh, I mean, 
in the early 2000s to the late 2000s, there was a, an energy in Detroit, not really just Corktown, but really a lot of Detroit that was exciting. Uh, you know, we've kind of, it, it, maybe I'm just speaking personally, but we've kind of lost that excitement in a way because there's so much new and there's so many more people. And that was the precursor to obviously getting more people. So it was a good thing, but um, there, you know, it's like uh, openings would happen, either art openings or uh, a bar or something happening, and you would always run into the same people. That was great because you always had a great time, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't like the diversity that there is now. And. What, these people that you, you were talking about that we, you could always run into mm -hmm. were, were these people that were making a difference in the Corktown yes. neighborhood. In, in well, what, in Detroit, okay, all, it wasn't just Corktown; it was all over the city. Sure. Oh, sure. So, so you're saying that there was an energy then because maybe because it was it was risky. Nobody knew whether it would work or not, and now it's pretty much established. It's there's a lot going on in Detroit, and it doesn't have the energy for that reason or something oh, else? Well, I think the energy just moves in a, in a lot of ways. Like um, an example would be like the uh, Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood right now because uh, Norma G's just opened. It ha It's now being like uh, planned through the city of Detroit's uh, a new framework plan for the uh, area. And there's a, an energy there of the possibilities. You know, can I open a business there? How do I you know, get established in that, in that area. P the people are buying the houses, even like artists move into the neighborhoods to fix up house because it's a great location. You know, it's fitting in these parameters of economics and uh, diversity of people that kind of lend to, you know, a certain level of excitement and acceptability. So, you know, those pockets i think are still in the city you know probably not so much in corktown anymore you know uh i'm going to, i'm going to uh tell you something that i remember about part of detroit developing from almost nothing to just being incredibly developed now uh, i have dogs and for the last six years we've taken them for daycare at liz blondie's canine to five and when we first started taking our dogs there there was very little on on cass avenue where where canine to five is located it's, it's located on cass avenue near martin luther uh king jr boulevard and it was easy to park. It was, there were a lot of people parking there, but there was plenty of room on, on the street to park and there wasn't much traffic and there wasn't a lot down there. It, it's very near Wayne State, but there were still plenty of places to park. Recently now, there is so much new development, retail, restaurants, other businesses. There are all kinds of businesses. I don't mean to make it sound like the, it's, it's just restaurant and retail. There, there are actual uh, white-collar businesses and work-sharing spaces down there. And, of course, the university has been expanding. And K9 to 5 itself has been expanding. And now the last time I dropped off my dog there, it's just crazy how much traffic traffic is down there. It's handled actually very well, but that's something that's been very interesting to watch is 
that particular business location go from not much going on? It was the only game in town there for a minute, and now there's just so much on around it. Right. Well, Liz was one of those people that was always at the party. <laughs> so great person. Um, I know her and her partner, Pat, great people. Just, you know, they've done wonders for the city, and they're always fun to talk to. And Brian, you actually are involved in development, not just as an architect, but you are involved in development and urban revitalization in Detroit as a developer yourself. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, my business partner, Chris, and I uh, are just starting uh, and uh, breaking ground on our 10-unit condominium project called the Bagley 10, which is on Bagley, very near where I live. Um, and it's been... Uh, uh, three years in the making or over that. So, um, yeah, it's exciting um, and uh, a little scary. But Well, well yeah, describe the good. development. Oh, well, uh, we I purchased – actually, I didn't really purchase, but um, I bought property uh, from the local Greater Corktown Community Development Corporation back in 2007 um, and uh, – wanted to develop things and as chris and i got together our one of our goals and of of us joining was to do architecture as well as development and chris has a construction background so it kind of all fits well together so we developed this concept of condominiums uh actually uh they're a little upscale but yet uh geared towards families because they're all three bedrooms and those are kind of rare in these days of uh um you know, new construction townhouses. Holy cow! I'll say three bedrooms. That's yes. a lot for a condominium. How that, how many square feet? It's uh, uh, twenty two fifty square feet. Um, so that's that's the size of a uh, a decent suburban uh, right. home. Right, but um, it's uh, dense uh, and there it's uh, urban in terms of um, kind of Chicago style uh, with a, a very modern exterior. Uh, and uh, nicely appointed, I'll say. Uh, and so we're offering that in a great location. So is this strictly a residential development, or is it mixed use? It's strictly residential. And what's the size of your footprint, um, either in terms of uh, square feet or block? or? Uh, well, it's about, I don't know, uh, <laughs> about 6,000 square feet as a as a as a block sure but in any event um uh it you know you can you know you're an architect our, you're i know but square, square, square footages are <laughs> but you're like, wearing whatever. your developer hat I just, now I, you know i want to know that it's going to look good and do well and uh you know people that walk by like it and uh it's very controversial in terms of the neighborhood because it is in an historic district and it is a modern addition um but you know, there's uh, anyway. It's more about this. It's not so much about the square footage as it is uh, the impetus to do something like that in that location. Oh, sure, yeah. I, I guess all I was getting at is I'm just trying to envision. Um, well, you have to go to scale. our website. What is your and what is your website? <laughs> well, you can go to the to you know uh, bagley10.com. Oh, I was even thinking we were going to mention your firm's website. Well, but so Bagley, Bagley10.com has its own website. Is yeah. it Bagley number 10 or Bagley? There are 10 units and they're on Bagley. 
So it's Bagley, Bagley T E N or no, Bag- one O. Okay. Yeah. And how many floors is this going to be? How many well, stories? It's, it's essentially three stories, but one story is uh, slightly under grade, so it uh, qualifies. So it's actually four stories, but and it's an unusual design to uh, let light in. Uh, it is obviously designed by an architect and developed by an architect. Obviously. So that's uh, you know uh, something unusual and. Um, of of all things, uh, we have, you know, uh, we've been very lucky, uh, very fortunate, I'll say, maybe not lucky, uh, very fortunate in that uh, even the planning director at the city of Detroit, Maurice Cox, uh, supported our project in uh, last year's uh, uh, Detroit Design uh, 139. Uh, because Detroit is, you know, 139 square miles and uh, I didn't choosing know that. choosing the best designs that are happening in the city. So we were part of that exhibition and we we're great, very grateful for that. Uh, so, and he told us, Chris and I, that, you know, you guys are in here because it's architect designed, architect built, you know, there's a level of quality and assurance and, uh, you know, the whole, uh, I guess, property and assemblage goes with that. And have you broken ground? Are, are you at what stage are you at? Uh, we have uh, a couple of sales already for pre- our pre-sales. We are going to break ground uh, very soon in May. Uh, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out. So, uh, I think next week. Okay, if not this week. <laughs> so uh, we have everything lined up. And how many units total? Ten. So three floors, it's basically three units. Per, oh, well, I'm sorry. You uh, said David, there were four stories. David, you'll have to go to the website. I'm going to have to go to the website. Definitely. Yes, we and, I, and I hope our listeners will we, go to we the website. Can't, we can't describe it. <laughs> and do you, have, do you have drawings on the of website? Course, we're architects. Do we have drawings <laughs> on the website? Of course we have architects. Is the Pope Catholic. <laughs> you know, something actually reminded me of um, the, the reason I, I, I thought of that little quip was you mentioned that this project, this development of yours is a little bit controversial, at least a little bit controversial, mm-hmm. because it's modern but in a historic area yes. being developed as a modern building. I've heard a lot of talk about that in connection with the restoration following the recent fire at the um, – uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. There's been a lot of talk about, I've been hearing a lot and reading a lot lately how, yes, the Cathedral of Notre Dame is 850 years old, but it, it, it took 150 years to build in the first place. And there were a lot of changes through the decades oh, yeah. of, of oh. when it was built and through the centuries since. Of course. Yeah. So what's another 50 years to rebuild it? Well, according to France's president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, you know they, you know it's they, going to be five years. They just finished the Sagrada Familia in Spain. They can move over to the Notre Dame. And who is doing that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not your firm? No, no, gosh, no. But you can handle that. Uh, uh, no, I'll leave it to With a couple of temp workers. That are, You'd have that to are hire very, a couple of temps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just a few. Okay, and you have another project as well. Well, yes, uh, currently under construction in North Corktown, which is on the north side of I-75. We have three houses under construction. Uh, and that's uh, really a, uh, an elemental 
a building project in a neighborhood that is uh, ripe for redevelopment. And this was, it was even prior to Ford Motor Company announcing their engagement with the train station. Uh, and that, uh, uh, you know, the homeowners that uh, have uh, engaged us as we have engaged them uh, are wonderful to work with and the houses are coming out really well and they're all different. They're very personal. Uh, and it was a long process again uh, to go through uh, and an unusual process uh, with the uh, Detroit Land Bank Authority. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we did that to kind of uh, push policy uh, about how, um, you know, people can have access to public land in the city. So, Well, that sounds like um, that might have been a little bit of a challenge working with the land bank or yes. it was a rewarding experience. Um, what were well, you trying to accomplish? Well, tell, tell me this about is, what this was is going a, on. This is a podcast. So it was wonderful, David, to work with <laughs> the Detroit Land Bank Authority. I have um, worked with the Detroit Land Bank Authority, by the way, and I have found them nothing but wonderful to work yes. with. Uh, yes. Uh, well, but what were the, some of the, the challenges process, involved? What, what were you trying to accomplish, and how how, well, how did the process develop? People, uh, you know, a, a couple of couples, you know, uh, came to us and said we we would like to build a house in North Corktown, and uh, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, um, there is, you know, North Corktown represented a, a very finite uh, part of the city where. Uh, one, it wasn't in an historic district, and the historic districts were the primary uh, centers of the city of of where you could get financial uh, a mortgage, essentially. Uh, because I had uh, been part of the uh, affordable housing scattered site infill in the North Corktown neighborhood in the early 2000s, uh, those houses were now selling in North Corktown, and they provided comparables, you know, comps, real estate comps. And that is what helped uh, establish that neighborhood as a viable new construction homeowner-based area. And so when the couples came, I, you know, I said, okay, North, we can go to the land bank and present a package to them, but it has to be a win, 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 win package. Like, so this is public land. You know, you're not, you know, we're not trying to, you know, throw shade at anyone. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you have to work at, we'll design a house for you. Uh, Chris, my business partner, would cost it. We, you will take that to the bank. You'll get uh, approved by for your loan. We will put all this in a package and we'll take it to the land bank and say, can we buy this lot for this homeowner? And at the time, which was... It was in November three years ago. Uh, the land bank said, "Well, one, they didn't really have, know what to do with it, and they didn't have anyone to really look at it." And then one day, one of the guys who picked it up and looked at it and said, "This is a great idea." <laughs> so that led to six to eight more months of going to the board, vetting the project or those projects, and that you know, so that was another. So then, and then we tried to find more people to be more uh, construction cost conscious, and so it's ended up being three homes. Uh, we started construction last fall, 
and they should be complete uh, anytime soon. And so and, the, the purchases from the land bank have all been completed? Well, the purchases, yes, but it's also a development agreement because it is public property. So explain so, explain what a development agreement is. It, it Basically, it means that you purchase the land, you're developing the land, but you have obligations that run to the land bank authority or the city beyond um, just paying the purchase price for the land. Oh, sure. I mean, and if you're at all interested, you really should read the uh, Build Detroit the land bank's website about what a development agreement is. Right. Because, well, I mean, once again, I mean, summary, I'm a real estate lawyer, so I know. I thought I know. our in, listeners might, in might summary, find it's, it interesting it for you to describe it. You're going to, for these homes anyway, you're going to buy this lot, you're going to build a house, and you have so many days to either start and then you have so many days to finish. And there, you know, again, that was a, a contention of. of of with the land bank because they first started with well you have you know 30 days to start and you have six months to finish and no everyone knows you can't do that with a house a new house build so anyway uh but to get so they you know went to like six months and you have a year and a half to finish and um or something like that i'm not even sure but then uh once you get your certificate of occupancy from the city of detroit building department the let there that development agreement is then extinguished and the property is yours free for what you had paid for it it's really just a a, a way of of making sure in the democratic process that whoever purchases public lot property follows through it's Be- very simple really sure because the city and by extension the detroit land bank authority they they have an interest in not an individual's um, no, purposes it, it, for the property, but for the development of the city. Correct. They are they're there to help the city be economically viable and to protect the public yes. interest. Right. But that that actually I, I, the definition of its its mission really right is mm-hmm. a public private partnership. Well, yes, I. But well, at, at least de facto, out of my realm. Well, you have you have. <laughs> I mean, it's just a way of getting private money in to help improve the city. Yes, it's reestablish tax base, the tax ba- property tax base, so that you know the infrastructure can be upheld. What um, what is the time frame for completion of the Bagley Ten condominium project? Um, since we're breaking ground in May, we have a ten month uh, build uh, schedule, so that's. Hopefully, within a year, we'll be done with this project, but that's if everything goes really well. And you said you've sold uh, some of the units, but there are some still available? Yes. And is all that information on the website, Bagley10.com? Yes. It's all going, all the sales are going through O'Connor, Detroit, um, on Michigan Avenue. What are the parts of either being an architect or being a developer that you find personally most rewarding? Oh, gosh. It doesn't have to be one thing. It could be several things. I don't, well, I don't want to put you on the spot, Brian. <laughs> uh, right. Um, Although I seem to do it on a regular basis. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is really rewarding? Um, well, is it the hours? I mean, do you have a lot no, of flexibility? No, <laughs> okay. no. Um, is it the fascinating people you get to work with? Uh, 
Or do you spend a lot of time working alone? Well, okay, I'll go back to um, it's personally, it's exercising my passion. Uh, so it's a creative endeavor. Yeah. You know, um, and my career has evolved. Uh, I've evolved as a person and, and an architect in my career. Um, and, it, you know, to like use that knowledge is so important to me now uh that i i just want to do more of that i mean uh you know i started in a, a firm in downtown detroit in 1984 and having been around this long and having now the opportunity uh that i see before me i am excited uh, i want to do things and so i have this knowledge uh i have opportunity uh what am I going to do with it? So that's a very personal uh, approach to this, I guess. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> it was it was a great answer. Okay. I thought it was a wonderful answer. I, we're not we're not really looking for you know facts here. We're looking for opinions, and what, well, so sometimes we look for facts. But right then, that was an opinion right. question. So I I just want to urge anyone listening that Detroit still is a wonderful opportunity to do what you want to do. You know, isn't all the good land taken up in uh, no. for development there is in no downtown? Such, oh, of all the years I've been through this, it's like people have said to me, oh, I missed it. Oh, I should have bought that then. Oh, I didn't do it then. <laughs> it's like, you can still do it now. So there, there's still some good sites available. Always, always. What? It's about opportunity. When when you've um, when you've finished your current development projects, are there any particular things that you have in mind that you'd like to work on besides uh, residential, or or would you like to stay in residential well, development? Again, residential is kind of in my passion wheelhouse. Uh, so you know, I'm looking at different ways of doing residential and different projects you know and and developers that want to you know do different things you know that's what i want to do uh and also obviously being uh, our own developers you know to uh, to experiment and that's that's the, the the like one of the best things about being an architect and developer is that you get to experiment yourself and know where the money is and where the money's going and you know when a lot of times as an architect you know it's always up to the client that you know they make that decision so we're here making that decision and that's you know scary but yet exciting oh you know, yeah we're, we're 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 going that mile i read atlas shrugged I, I i understand one of my that is my favorite novel <laughs> well you're an architect <laughs> after all i would think one of the greatest things about being an architect would be Getting to design your own residence. Have you oh, done that? Oh, God. How many times? Uh, How many times? I Tell don't me. know. I don't know. Uh, it, it, too many. Well, um, where do you live right now? I live at the corner of Bagley and 8th Street in Corktown. In, in a yeah. house that you built or in a house nope. that you... It's in an 1887 uh, Victorian storefront with an apartment above. Uh, it was built as a meat market, and I currently live in the storefront. Uh huh. So I'm I'm imagining that took some redesign and uh, oh, it's great space. 
Um, sure, it's a creative space. You know, it's about a thousand square feet, uh, but it's not like a house. <laughs> so, I always um, wanted to live in a fire station. I thought that would be great. I had a friend again, who lived in a fire very similar. station. Yeah, right. Very okay. similar. So, what did you keep? Any features of of the meat market? Is of course. I mean, is there like a great walk in uh, refrigerator that there you is. use for a closet or something? There is. <laughs> Honestly, there is. I, I, I was totally just guessing. Uh, well, no. Describe some other features. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's, it, it's like one of the most charming buildings in Corktown. And it has a Coca-Cola lady on the side that was an original mural, uh, you know, from when Coca-Cola was advertising because it was a meat market. It was a store. It was a general store, you know, through the ages. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, the old meat cooler... I had disassembled, uh, you know, when I bought it in 96, uh, it needed so much work, so much work. Uh, and so I disassembled the meat cooler, rebuilt the floor, and then reassembled the meat cooler to, as a divider of the room, the one huge room. And so that's, you know, a very big feature of the space. Um, you know, I I have a huge curtain in the, in the space, which is the original curtain of the um, Telearts uh, Theater on Woodward Avenue, which is now blue. Oh, which wow. Which is my project way back in the day. And so it's wonderful art deco, greens and golds. Uh, it's, you know, it's just a nice open space. It, it, it sounds really wonderful. Um, that, that sort of thing... Um, Rehabbing an old space like that, uh, banks. Uh, I, I, oh, know, right. I know of a saloon that um, they they take people on underground bank tours. This is in uh, Nevada, mm -hmm. um, but it was an old bank. So the the vault is one thing, and I think it was uh, also um, built on a gold mine. So they take people on gold mine tours. Um, what about your office? Well, our office is at. Uh the Fillmore Theater uh, office building, the Palms building, um, right above the marquee. And uh, we've been there a year and a half, uh, and we have a great staff. Uh, it's a wonderful location. Um, I mean, I couldn't be happier. Was that a space you designed? Yes, um, but it was very uh, – the building itself is just one – it's wonderfully taken care of by the Forbes family. And uh, the second floor in particular has all glass as the corridor walls. And so that's the floor we wanted. Um, and we're uh, even on the north side, which is great for us architects because we're always on computers. And so, you know, having a lot of light, but yet not sunlight. You know, see, this is how we think as architects, even for ourselves. Uh, right. And um, so it's a nice, it's a very nice design. It's a very nice office. For, for an architect. And Brian, I should point out that uh, you are also a member of the Players Detroit, a theater organization. Yes. There, that's quite a building, the uh, Players oh. Playhouse on Jefferson, right? Yes, yes. Players has, has been there since 19... Well, they built a playhouse in 1925. Uh, they've been in existence since 1911. Wonderful organization I've been a part of for now 25 years. Uh, and uh, being on stage, uh, gentlemen's amateur theater, uh, great place, great place. How did you okay. uh, get involved in theater? 
would no. that be like an extension of uh, your creative nope. expression? Oh, or? who knows? And that's that's the beauty of players is you can. Uh, I mean, I never thought of myself as an actor. I wasn't never about theater, musical theater, anything. But I loved that place. And so a friend took me down in the the 90s. And so I became a member. And then I, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of quiet. But, uh, you know, as you get older, you come out of your shell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those places you can be what, what, who you are. Uh, and, you know, if you want to be on stage, you can be on stage. You can be on stage as a female in an all-male cast, or you can be, you know, the head head honcho of whatever whatever it, the play is happening at the time. And it, it's just, it takes you out of your world in a way that lets you, like, refocus. It, it just, it's just a great place. If so, and the reason I brought that up is I, I think the Playhouse is just amazing, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a beautiful space. Um, what do you, what kind of advice would you give people who are looking to do some kind of new development or, or re, redevelopment, I should say, in an urban area, Detroit or or anywhere else? I, I think that would it would translate to other cities as well. But should should People, whether they're they're thinking about a residence or thinking about developing a commercial space, what's the first thing they should should they do? Should they talk to an architect? Should they talk to um, construction people? Should they talk to their banker? Who should they talk to? Well, uh, one, if if you're going to do development, uh, but uh, but I mean, of, of any kind different. of size. I, I mean, well, I'm just talking about somebody who might want to buy a home or somebody might, who might want to start a business. Let me put it that okay. way. Okay. Well, those are two very different things sure. to me. Okay. So if you want to buy a home, go to a, a real estate agent that you like. And there are many very good ones in Detroit that are, you know, they're mostly boutique firms that have been here a long time. You know, they know the city. And so I would recommend going to them. Uh, if and if somebody contacted you through your website, you, you, you might be willing to give a specific recommendation oh, or two? Well, sure. Oh, yeah. I, I know so many real estate agents, you know, but if you're trying to do a business, you know, a business is, one is um, a, a very difficult thing to do. And again, it goes to your passion and, uh, you know, you really should follow your passion. I recommend that to everyone. But uh, so when you're doing, going, following your passion, you have to do your research. You have to, you know, cover your butt. You have to make sure that what your passion is leading you down is the right thing. And there's so that research will end up being more about, you know, the financial aspect, the location aspect, you know, uh, where your market is, uh, so many things. And luckily in Detroit, there is Motor City Match and Motor City Restore. And the people that run that are wonderful people. And they will help you, help you, help you. So uh, as a small business, and I was part of this with when I was the executive director of the Villages, it, you know, the assistance and guidance. And, you know, even uh, Chase Bank uh, has, you know, donated to the city to help small business through their uh, program with Invest Detroit. 
there are, you know, there's money there that, you know, can get allocated, but you have to do your, your stuff. Just briefly, we're running out of time here, but mm-hmm. what is Motor City Match and Motor City Restore? Restore. Well, these are programs through uh, the city of Detroit and the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation that help small businesses. Whatever businesses it is that you want, uh, if you have a location, if you have a business plan, if you've been doing something on your own for a while, you can apply to them. You can, uh, you know, and they will take you through, you know, even accounting procedures, marketing procedures, uh, you know, location of things. Uh, They are there to help you because the city of Detroit will only get better with small business incubation, you know, and that incubation leads to, you know, neighborhoods, the the better the neighborhoods, the more things to go to, the more things that enrich and help quality of life of our lives based on the people that are there. Uh, That's the only way, you know, Detroit makes the city that it will uniquely be, and are these and is today? Are these programs that uh, an entrepreneur of modest means can? Oh, of course. Uh, um, That's what, yes, of course. Very modest means. Yes, Brian. We are running out of time. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh. And once again, your website for Bagley Ten is BagleyTen.com. dot right. And what about your firm website? Well, Christian Hertian Architects C H A dash C dot com uh, is a shameless plug. But still, uh, we're all about shameless plugs here. <laughs> uh, it's you know we we really try, and we're in the city, and uh, we're there. And if you have any questions about anything you've heard on today's episode, uh, please visit Brian's websites or my website at lipsandnielsen.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. See you next. Thanks for listening to Revitalize Our Cities Now. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss or questions about the show, you can email us at dmichael at lipsandnielsen.com. Make sure you join us again for our next episode when we talk with another difference maker helping to revitalize our cities now. Now.